Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Allahumma salli wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ahli Sayyidina Muhammad wa barik wa sallam Rabbi shahli sadri wa sirli amri wa ahlul uqdatan min lisani yafqahu qawli Subhanaka la ilmanana illa ma'allamtana Subhanaka la ilmanana illa ma'allamtana Subhanaka la ilmanana illa ma'allamtana Allahumma nawwir qulubna bi'ilmik wa istamil abdanana li ta'atik wa fiqna lima tuhibbu wa tarda min qawli wal amali wal fi'li wal niyati wal huda innaka ala kulli shayin qadir Allahumma iftah aqfala qulubna bithikrik wa atmim alayna ni'matak wa rahmatak يا وهاب يا وهاب يا وهاب يا فتاح يا فتاح يا فتاح يا جبار يا جبار يا جبار قال الله سبحانه وتعالى ذلك ومن عاقب بمثل ما عوقب به ثم بغي عليه لينصرنه الله إن الله العفو غفور صدق الله العظيم beloved respected elders and brothers mothers and sisters dear listeners and dear students السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته we thank Allah سبحانه وتعالى who has blessed us to gather here tonight as we are uh, completing, almost completing this, the, the story of, uh, or rather the surah of Al-Hajj, tonight being the first of Muharram 1445. Uh, also, this is about uh, now around the completion, hopefully by next week, inshallah, we'll be completing the surah. And I'm grateful uh, from Mufti Min Hajj for to have uh, been covering for the past three weeks, uh, alhamdulillah. And I'm sure we all uh, tremendously benefited from his deep insights into the uh, ayats of the of Surah Al-Hajj that were covered in the past three weeks. And inshallah, the remaining ayats will hopefully cover it uh, in the next two weeks, if Allah wills. <clears throat> and uh, begin before we begin our uh, weekly gathering here, as always, let us renew our intention uh, to that we're here to please Allah Azza wa Jal. We ask Allah Azza wa Jal that, Ya Allah, this Qur'an you've given us, it ha- within it lie all the secrets of the world, within it lie the answers to all of our problems. And Ya Allah, allow me to be able to understand those uh, solutions that the Qur'an presents to the life, uh, presents, to, uh, presents to me in my individual life, collective life, and domestic life, uh, economic life, mental uh, and spiritual dimensions of ours. Whatever issues I am going through, Ya Allah, allow me to find the answers in the Qur'an. The, Qur'an, the answers are right there, but we have to be able to find them. And uh, this is what the test is about. And so that's why we're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, inshallah, before we embark on today's session, that He opens up these secrets of the Quran upon all of us. Say Ameen. And that Ya Allah, whatever uh, difficulty we are going through, may He allow us to find the solutions to that in His book. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make you and I from amongst the students of the Quran for the rest of our lives. And inshallah, whatever, uh, whatever issues and difficulties we currently are going through as we're listening now, we ask Allah Azza wa Jalla that we get inspired to hear those things which will be a benefit to us in our specific situation. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. And interestingly, one of our beloved colleagues here, Alhamdulillah, some many colleagues went for Hajj, came back, and Alhamdulillah, many of, most of the Hajjaj are coming back or are already here. One of them mentioned how the uh, Maidan of, uh, you know, right, one of the days we were going for Jamarat, he said, I've never felt this type of feeling until one of the, on the 12th of the Hijjah when they were headed to pelt the stones he said the rush and the crowd was just so much at the time of Dhuhr that um, it really felt like it's you know this is the Maidan of Hashar uh, it's, a, it's a day of judgment and people are just packed and pushing in also not only the, the abundance of the people but the fact that no one cares about anyone else everyone is just out there for themselves at all cost I have to Succeed. It doesn't make a difference who I elbow, whose feet I trample upon, whose uh, bag with this wallet I end up swiping. 
and it doesn't make a difference as long as I'm able to accomplish my goal I could care less who, what happens where this is what the day of judgment is about right it's everyone's nafsi 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 everyone's about themselves and there's just going to be endless sea of people um, and so as the, as the various reflections of Hajj were being shared this morning with our, uh, from our colleagues one of the, our, our brothers mentioned Malana mentioned very nicely that subhanallah how interesting that Surah Al-Hajj which we have been studying for the past few months the very first verse is Ya rabbakum sa'ati shay'un azim. Uh, oh people uh, indeed fear your Lord and remember that the tremor of the day of judgment is something huge something great it's something massive that is the day when you will see every nursing mother will forget her nursing child and I mean we, we studied alhamdulillah tafsir of that in the first session but the idea is that Hajj reminds you of the day of judgment and that's is such an interesting point that we didn't cover so I'm sharing with you here is that um, Allah Azza wa interestingly placed that as the very first verse of Surah Al-Hajj and it really has such a powerful connection. You have heard um, when you uh, in the bayans before Hajj that when we wear ihram, that we are reminded of uh, the shroud that a person wears, or is rather, it's a shroud that is given to a person when he is being laid into the grave, kafan. And so that is similar to the ihram. And just like when a person wears ihram, all his identity, wallet, his big badges, everything's gone. No one knows who's who, right? You don't know if this is a millionaire or this is a pauper. Everyone's wearing a haram. When we wear our kafan and our kafan is in our shroud, we're shrouded and we're lowered into the grave. Similarly, the only thing that's going to go with us is our amal and all the names and the uh, uh, fancy prefixes and suffixes. All will be left immediately. Uh, we don't even use the alqab. We don't even use the uh, uh, honorary titles. We don't say bring Fulan doctor sahab, Fulan mufti sahab, Fulan engineer sahab. Simply please bring the mayyit. Bring the mayyit over here. Bring the mayyit, right? The dead body. That's how instantaneously all those titles are removed. That day is coming. And so preparation of the day of judgment, hajj and day of judgment has a lot of connection. That's why we should reflect. And we, uh, we ask Allah Zawal that He accepts the hajj of all those who went this year and all those who made niyyah. Many, many made niyyah were not able to go. May Allah allow us next to, to go next year, inshallah. And uh, we have to start making niya from right from now. Start saving up right from now. And start preparing. Uh, and, and asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, that He takes all of us. You know, for, his, uh, for those of at least upon whom Hajj is fard. So going now specifically to this ayah here, ذَلِكَ مَنْ Allah says, whatever has been mentioned so far is settled. ذَلِكَ Mustahkamun, mustaqarun. Whatever has been mentioned has been settled. Now let's start something new. Wamanaqaba. Moreover, whoever amongst the believers repays an aggression, aqaba, aquba is a punishment, especially when you are uh, repaying someone back. That's this is what aqaba is. Someone does something to you, and then you are avenging yourself. So whoever amongst the believers repays aggression with a punishment that is not in excess of the like of that which, with which he has been wrongly punished. Meaning, the one who retaliates equivalent to the initial aggression. Not more than that. Equivalent to that. That's fine. You're allowed to do that. 
and who thereafter is unjustly wronged in retaliation. So one person pushes someone, person A pushes person B, with you know a little bit, one foot, or or six inches. Person B pushes back on person A six inches. Game over. Khalas done. Now person A comes and says, "No, why'd you push me?" Obviously, he did in retaliation. Equivalent, not more. So then he pushes again. So now this person is going to be regarded as the oppressor. He started it. We had settled the score, and then now he's going round two. So if you go round two, from alayhi, if you've been wronged again, Allah, then Allah will most surely aid the oppressed one in attaining justice. In Allah ghafur, indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone is assuredly all pardoning, all forgiving. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He has created this insan with instincts. And these instincts that we have to eat, to drink, to be worried about our uh, existence on this earth, to desire to have progeny so that we remain existing. The desire to know about our surroundings so we don't get harmed. To know who's coming from where, where was that knock coming from, what's going on. These are all our natural instincts of survival. When a person uh, uses those instincts in an appropriate manner, then not only will he live and thrive, but also he will not, get, he will not earn Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's wrath and anger. But if a person utilizes those instincts in a manner beyond what he is supposed to, in a manner that is not acceptable to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that is why, then in that case he will get in trouble with Allah. Similarly, Allah azza wa just kept feelings of anger, of sadness, of happiness, all of these feelings as well, they, they are beyond our natural, like we don't have control over that. We don't have control. For example, uh, there's a famous hadith of Rasulullah saying, that Ya Allah, I've done what I could in terms of treating my wives equally. So please do not hold me accountable for something which I am not in control of. Division of my days and nights has been divided equally amongst the spouses. Division of time, uh, division of money, equal. But do not hold me accountable for something which I do not have a control over. What is that? Emotions, that's love. So if treating our children equally, we treat our children equally. We have to give time equally to our kids and wealth to our children. But if we are naturally more inclined towards one, then we, we ask Allah not to hold us accountable because it's really something beyond our control. So you, you, you have instincts and you have these natural feelings that a person has. And if a person has self-control, then they will be able to, inshallah, benefit. But if they don't and they let it go in any direction, then they can have uh, very bad consequences. For example, Allah Azza wa Jal has created within us the desire to eat and drink because we need to survive. So Allah says, Kulu wa shrabu, eat and drink. Wala tusrifu, but do not become extravagant in it. Do not go overbound. Do not cross the boundaries. Eat when you feel the need for it. Eat when you feel hungry. Don't eat simply because you just want to taste this and you want to enjoy this and that. But rather eat when there is a need for, when there's a need. Genuine need, your own nafs and your body will start, it's like a bell internally. Say, come on, wake up, wake up, get up and go eat because you're hungry. 
Similarly, a person is thirsty. Internally, a person will be forced to stand up and go, you know, and drink water. Because the body is signaling that I need something. So these are needs. But Allah Azza says, وَلَا تُسْرِفُ Do not cross those boundaries. There is a, a need for, you know, having our progeny and our survival of our jinns, survival of, of, of the human race. So there's natural need Allah put within a man and a woman. They are garments for one another. But then Allah Azza wa Jal says, Do not even get near fornication. That is an act of absolute lewdness. It's a horrible path that will lead you down towards hellfire. There is a desire to understand if something is happening, a noise, a door opening in the middle of the night. You want to go see what that is for your protection. So you want to be aware of your surroundings. However, control that. Don't start spying. If some noise is coming from a neighbor's house, somewhere else, that's none of your business. Focus. Use that instinct of wanting to know what's happening only to a degree to protect yourself. Do not go over bounds with that. Alright? Um, anger is necessary for a person if you if you're never get angry, that's a problem too. You have to get angry at certain times to protect your rights or the deen of Allah Azza wa But then, Do not allow your hatred or anger or hatred to, of a group of people to oppress them. We can't control like Wahshi kills uh, Hamza radiallahu anhu. And now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses him with Islam. And he comes in front of the Prophet And the Prophet is, is saying that, you know what, every time I see you, I'm remembering my beloved uncle Hamza who has been killed. So I request you that if you come, cover up your face. Don't, I don't want to see your face because when I see your face, my pain of losing my uncle gets renewed. Nabi did not allow his pain, which was very, very, very intense when he lost his uncle to allow it to become a means of oppressing Wahshi. And you know, let's, uh, when, when Wahshi had killed Hamza anhu and brutally mutilated his body, and the Prophet saw all these Sahaba martyred and killed, and when he saw Hamza anhu's body martyred uh, and killed at the hands of Wahshi, he became very angry. And he said, for this one Wahshi, for, for this one Hamza radiallahu anhu, I'm going to, uh, you know, retaliate and I'm going to avenge his death by taking 70 of them. So what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveal? وَإِنْ عَاقَبْتُمْ Similar type of, same word, عَاقَبَ وَإِنْ عَاقَبْتُمْ If you choose to avenge yourself, فَعَاقِبُوا بِمِثْلِ مَا عُقِبْتُمْ بِهِ Then avenge yourself equivalent to the initial aggression that was done upon you, one for one. Allah, this is one of the most beautiful signs that Nabi Muhammad Sallallahu was a true Nabi. He wasn't someone using the Quran to consolidate power in this world and use this for his political gains. If that was the case, why would such a verse be revealed? Or why would he share that this verse has been revealed about me? Think about that. Very deep. That Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is telling him that if you want to, imagine he, Allah knows the emotion he's going through more than anyone else. Allah is more knowledgeable than anyone else about what's in your heart. 
No one knows the emotion and the pain of Rasulullah No one knows what Hamza meant to the Prophet How much he supported him. For what? Supported him for the cause of Islam. Not for some personal gain. And now he's lost someone like that. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was so well aware of his emotions. Because I know many of us go through difficulty. Not many of us, all of us go through. We go through emotions. We go through upside, all sorts of emotions. Losing a family member, becoming sick, parents' issues, divorce issues, financial issues. We all have our days when we're down. And sometimes a thought comes to us say, hey, no one knows what I'm going through. You're right, maybe. But guess what? Allah knows what you're going through. Allah is very well aware. It's high time that we share our story with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah is just waiting for the day when you turn around and you share your story. He wants to hear it. He, he's, he's the only one who can assist you and I. But He wants you to, and I to go down on our knees and share a story with Him. One of the other brothers was mentioning in this Hajj, what a powerful reflection in which for anyone who goes for Hajj is. Anyone you know, who goes will remember that the most powerful part of Hajj is what? Arafah, exactly. The day of Arafah. And the day of Arafah is a day of storytelling. Right? You just sit there and speak to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for hours. That's what you're supposed to do. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ's famous hadith, dua huwa al-ibadah, and dua'u mukhul ibadah. The dua is ibadah, and dua is the essence of ibadah. Because when we, when we just prayed Maghrib Salah, we might not have been able to be as concentrating. We prayed our sunnah, we might not have been as focused. But in order for you to make a dua that's 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 minutes and beyond, you cannot not be focused. What are you going to do? You're alone sitting there in a corner. Even today, if you want to sit and make dua, everyone's gone, they're having the chai and they're leaving. You're sitting in a corner making dua. You have to be focused. How could you be sitting there in a corner making dua if you don't know what you're talking about? You're pouring your story out. You really have to be speaking to Allah. That's why it's a dua on your own. Yeah, dua behind the imam after maghrib salah or after isha could be ritualistic. You know, you look in the other way, Allah, like this. You know, I mean, you know? That's like, it seems like you're kind of um, using that as a, like a fan for your face. Just, it's getting hot. Sometimes people just make dua like that. No, but when you sit on a corner and make your own dua, that means you really have to be what? Focused. That's, it's it's your, your story to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is why that's something such a powerful, all of us who have experienced a long dua on our own. When you walk out from that dua, you feel a sense of relief, like you've, a huge massive burden has been come off of your chest. No matter what type of problem you're going through. But when you sit there, and if Allah gifts you with the ability to shed some tears, wow, that's a feeling like no other. That's an enjoyment like no other. But this is it, because you're sharing your story and Allah is listening. Why should you not feel any better? Because you are sharing your story with the only one who is worthy of your, yani the only one who is worthy for you to share your story with. The rest of the people can only help you if He allows them to help you. And there's only one who has full control of your situation and who doesn't need to take anyone's permission to help you. And he instantaneously can assist you. And that is our Lord Almighty Allah Azza wa Jal. So when a person shares his story with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we're just talking about how this is powerful. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows what Hamza, what Rasulullah is going through, yet he reveals this ayah. If you choose to avenge yourself, then make sure you avenge yourself equivalent to what the initial aggression was. And oh Rasulullah, oh Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you know people say, brother, don't tell me about sabr. 
I'm sorry, I don't know what situation you and I are going through, but nothing can compare to this scenario. Because the Nabi thought that the, 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 the being of Nabi salam, one thorn to the Prophet and the rest of us being chopped up into tiny, tiny pieces and ground meat cannot be the same. Cannot be the same in the eyes of Allah. That is the Nabi for whom Allah has done everything. As Aisha Dilana says, it seems that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is trying to always please you. Allahu Akbar. From the verses of the Quran and the stories that are in unfolding in front of me, oh my dear husband. You know, for a wife to say that to the husband, it's a big thing, huh? Just think about that. The wife, she's never gonna say stuff like this. But this is the wife is not just saying, You're amazing, you're my star. No, she's saying, It seems to me that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is trying to please you. Wow. Coming from a wife also, that's a massive statement. Why is she saying that? Because that's exactly what's happening. So for that Nabi to get perked with a thorn and for the rest of us to die, they're not equal. But that Nabi is now heartbroken completely. He's crying. Why is he saying that I would rather take, I'll take 70 in lieu of, of my Hamza? Allahu Akbar. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala still says, Wala in sabartum. If you remain patient. You know how people get so angry. Brother, stop talking to me about patience. You know, they get angry. If you give bayan on patience, some people say, come on, how much patience should I be? How long should I be patient with? Let's put it, let's calm down, relax, and study the story of Rasulullah in Uhud. And realize whatever you're going through, what I'm going through is nothing. Yet Allah is actually alluding, hey, wala in sabartum. If you are patient, then that reward that you're going to gain by being patient is far better. Then the reward, you know they say revenge is sweet. But trust me, the reward of patience is far sweeter. The re- revenge, the, the taste rather I should say, the taste of forgiveness is far sweeter than the taste of revenge. in sabartum Subhanallah. So Allah Azza wa is mentioning that same thing over here. If you're gonna, if you're gonna retaliate, you retaliate equivalent to how much you were punished initially. And beyond that, if you go, then you are gonna be the valim. So we are speaking about how these internal instincts and needs and desires we have, as long as we allow Islam to dictate to what extent, extent we follow through on these demands of our desires and our instincts, we'll be fine. But if we go beyond that, that's when the problem arises. What was very um, interesting, Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu, it's mentioned, beautiful story of Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu, that he came across uh, Abu Maryam al-Hanafi, whose name was Iyas bin Dabih bin al-Muharrish bin Abdi Amr. This man, Abu Maryam al-Hanafi, known as that. He was from the people of Yamama who were basically the companions of Musaylama al-Kathab, the false prophet. And he fought in the battle of Yamama, a huge battle in which thousands of Muslims and many hufaz of the Quran became shaheed. Eventually later on, he repented and he became a Muslim and he was a good Muslim. So in the battle of Yamama, Abu Maryam al-Hanafi ended up killing Zayd bin al-Khattab who was the blood brother of Sayyidina Umar al-Khattab radiallahu anhu 
And so it's mentioned that Abu Maryam one day said to Amir al-Mu'mineen, Allahu Akbar, what type of people, man? Listen to this. Abu Maryam, the killer of the brother of Umar al-Khattab radiallahu anhu. He says to Umar al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, Inna Allah akrama, Inna Allah akrama zaydan biyadi, walam yuhinni biyadi. He says, Oh, Amir al-Mu'mineen, Allah honored your brother through my hands. And he did not disgrace me by your brother. What does that mean? Meaning Allah granted your brother martyrdom through me. He's in Jannah right now, inshaAllah. He became a martyr through me. And yet he didn't disgrace me through him because if I had died as a disbeliever, I'd be in the deepest part of hell. But he allowed me to become a proper Muslim and make tawbah. So I did not get dishonored by your brother and your brother got honored by me. Subhanallah. He's telling this too to the Amir al-Mu'mineen. Umar al-Khattab radiallahu anhu. What amazing people they were, man. So <clears throat> Umar radiallahu anhu said, okay, all fine. But he said, Israf wajhaka ba'idan anni fa inni la uhibbuk. Whenever you pass by me, please look the other way. I don't like you. Because you killed my brother. So I don't want to see you. So when you pass by, please just look the other way. Because looking at you reminds me of the fact that you killed my brother. So one day, Abu Maryam al-Hanafi asked Umar radiallahu anhu, he said, in kana hadha sayamna'u haqqan min So he said, oh, Amir al-Mu'mineen, this hatred of yours or dislike of yours for me, will this stop me from getting my rights fulfilled from you? Will I get my due right from you? Or will your hatred for me because I killed your brother, come in between me and you. Amir al-Mu'mineen said, no, of course not. That's a separate private matter. My anger for you will not become between you and I when it comes to the fulfillment of your rights. So then it is mentioned <coughs> that Umar radiallahu anhu, after the death of Imran bin Hussein radiallahu anhu, actually made this individual, Abu Maryam al-Hanafi, the governor of Basra. Such a massive city. He made him a governor of it after the death of the Umran Hussein This is a great, beautiful example of having full control of your emotions and of your internal instincts. That they may, the, the anger is there, natural. However, you allow the sharia to come in and what deen teaches us to come in and to ensure that it's, that anger is not misappropriated. It's not misused. My beloved brothers, this is, this is where you and I have to hope to become one day. We, this is where the level where we need to be trying to improve ourselves. When you talk about self-improvement, people don't usually speak about self-improvement much. Talk about improvement of the business, improvement of the home, improvement of the garden, improvement of the patio, improvement of the kitchen. But what about the improvement of the self? When does that going to start? When is that journey going to begin? And where does that even go? What do you expect me to do? I pray, man. I read Quran. What else do you want me to do? There's a lot more we have to do. And that's the tahzibun nafs. This is where we take our nafs and we beautify it. We chisel all the filth away from it and cleanse it up. And one of the great ways that you can, you, 
that you do this is through the abundance of the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That when a person does abundantly the dhikr of Allah, then you're always being reminded, because salah ended now, Maghrib to Isha, we're gonna be free throughout the week. After Isha till Fajr, you're alone. From Fajr all the way till Dhuhr. You have all these hours. Who's gonna remind you that you're in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala right now? How are you gonna remember that I'm about to sin? No, I can't sin. The dhikr of Allah outside of the salah is what's gonna remind you. When our, our heart is beating with Allah, 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 we are gonna remind ourselves that we're in the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so that's why the, some people are naturally very angry. They get angry very quickly. And they remain angry, for example. Other people have a very strong shahwa of food. Or shahwa and lustful desire of something, of, of fulfilling their you know, cardinal desires. How do you control all of these things? These are natural instincts. Well, you control it through the abundance of dhikr. The more dhikr we do, it will allow us to have more self-control on these instincts. Because we will realize that Allah is watching, I'm in His presence. And the second thing, beloved brothers, is a suhbah and the companionship of the pious. When we sit in the company of righteous, pious people, we learn from them. Like you learn from your internship. Internship, you do with some expert, and you learn off of them. Similarly, when you sit in the company of the pious and the righteous, you see how they react to various different circumstances. And you see, oh, okay, I have to model this type of behavior. Simple as that. Ya Oh believers, fear Allah and stay in the company of the truthful ones. The more we stay in the company of the truthful ones, the more these traits of theirs, like including taqwa, will come into us. Subhanallah. So this is a lifelong journey that all of us have to get started on. Immediately. And uh, is reflecting on what are the instincts of mine, natural instincts that I am taking out of bounds. Right? That I am not fulfilling. Uh, and properly. And then ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Ya Allah, Allah mazakki anfusana. Ya Allah, purify my heart. Oh Allah, anta khayru man zakkaha. Oh Allah, you are the best one who can purify my heart. What else? Ya Allah, do not allow me to become subjugated to my own nafs. Because if you allow me to become a servant and a slave of my nafs, my nafs most definitely will take me to sin and will take me to make major mistakes. Coming back to the verse here now. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Inna Allah al-afoon ghafoor. Why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say afoon ghafoor? He says, I'm gonna assist you. If you, are, if you are suffering retaliation, I'm gonna assist you. And then he says, Inna Allah al-afoon ghafoor. Saying that, look, this is who I am. I pardon and I forgive. So if you do the same, how nice it would be. Basically, you have a right to avenge yourself. That's your right. But if you forego your right and you do ihsan, then the reward is much better. 
Allah Azza wa says, Inna Allah ya'muru bil adli wal ihsan. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala orders you, commands you to be just. Meaning justice is the fard ayn. We must all be just. But then there is one second degree above that. That don't just be just, be forgiving. That see if you can actually not demand your right. Give people their rights and not demand yours. If you could do that, then obviously, in Allah yuhibbul muhsineen. Allah loves those who will do ihsan. And then, هَلْجَزَاءُ ihsani إِلَّا ihsan. If you do ihsan to the creation, Allah is waiting to do ihsan towards you. As you have heard many times the story of Abu Siddiq radiallahu anhu and his incident of, of his daughter being accused, Aisha radiallahu anha, in which he made a commitment and an oath that I will not give mistah, my relative, any more financial help because he was involved in spreading a false accusation about his daughter, the wife of the Prophet <coughs> And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا يَتِرُوا minkum." It is not befitting for people of honor to make such oaths. And then the last portion of the verses, Do you not want Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive you? And the answer is, of course. Well, guess what? If you want Allah to forgive you, then you forgive Him. This is the deal I'm making with you. So, one of the... I was, of course, traveling, as you are aware, I was traveling. I traveled to England and I traveled to Turkey in the company of my teachers. Uh, Alhamdulillah, the Ustad, you always hear about in Tafsir, Mawlana Suleiman Choksi, Barakatuhum. I got a chance to travel with him in England. He was there in a tour. And I, uh, Alhamdulillah, was traveling in the various cities with wherever he was going. And then I went to Istanbul to spend time with my uh, uh, other Ustad, Mawlana Ubaidullah. And Alhamdulillah, benefit, hopefully, inshallah, tremendously from his, his company. So, uh, this was um, one of the things... In, in the process of that, I got a chance to meet many other scholars. Whenever, you know, we would go to a town, we try to, I, like I always encourage you all, that wherever you go, go visit the ulama. And there's, you're never gonna walk away empty-handed. You're always gonna walk away with, uh, you know, priceless things. Um, so make sure we do that. Wherever you're traveling across the globe, find out which ulama are in that city and go visit them. Go to their home, take a small gift, if possible, visit them, ask them for advice, ask them for their dua, 15-20 minutes, more than sufficient. And it will it'll go down, subhanAllah, 20-30 years later, you'll be remembering those pieces of advice. Their duas, inshaAllah, will be, will be with you. So one of the ulama I was visiting, he mentioned that one of the quickest and best ways, or the quickest ways to become a wali of Allah, and to gain wilaya. Right? Who doesn't want to become a wali of Allah? Who doesn't want to get close to Allah Azza wa Jalla and become a friend? It's such a beautiful thing he shared with him. He said, when you leave your home, make this intention that, Ya Allah, whoever I meet on my journey today, school, work, business, etc., whoever in any way, shape, or form may hurt me, may break my heart, attack my honor, Speak ill about me in front of me in my absence. Do something to upset me. I have already forgiven them for your sake. I have already forgiven them for your sake. For indeed, this cleanliness of the heart for each other, having a salamatu sadr, having a chest, a heart that is absolutely empty of any grudges and hatred for anyone, is a massive, massive gift of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
So before you even embark on that journey, leaving the home, I mean, I'm not talking about journey overseas, just your normal day-to-day work. You should, if he said, if you make this niyyah, this is one of the quickest ways to become the friend of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Look at one point. And now just thinking about points, another scholar mentioned something beautiful. He said, when you do the dhikr of Allah, because we talked about dhikr earlier, he said, make sure you do dhikr properly. Focus. So he said, so we asked, how do you focus? How do you improve the quality of your dhikr? He said, you, when you sit down to do dhikr, you should say, Ya Allah, everything in the heavens and the earth as mentioned in the Qur'an, everything, every living and non-living, every animate and inanimate object in the heavens and the earth is prostrating to Allah and is proclaiming the greatness to Allah, of Allah and is remembering Allah. All is mentioned in the Qur'an. Ya Allah, these are creations that cannot even defy you. They don't have aql, they don't have intelligence the way we do. Yet they are making sujood. Yet they are proclaiming your greatness. Ya Allah, I am the most knowledgeable of all these creations. I have aql and intelligence that they don't have. I have all these abilities. Ya Allah, my quality of dhikr is horrible. I'm so sinful. And all of these creations are masoom and protected from sin. What tree, well, how is a tree gonna sin? How is this carpet gonna sin? How is this, uh, uh, you know, this, this covering of this table gonna sin? But they're doing tasbih, as mentioned in the Quran. So, Ya Allah, through the barakah of all of these sinless objects that are proclaiming your greatness, Ya Allah, accept my low vic- quality dhikr as well. SubhanAllah. He said, have this concentration. That I'm worthless, I'm not capable of properly taking Allah's name. But I'm surrounded by millions of other creation of Allah that are not, that are, are not even mukallaf, are not even punishable. They're not going to get punished or rewarded. But yet they are doing such beautiful dhikr. Ya Allah, I am your khalifa on this earth. I should be doing so much more dhikr. Through their barakah and blessing, for, accept my dhikr as well. He said, this is how you can improve the quality of your dhikr. So, you know, these small, small points you get from five minutes sitting in the company of the awliya and the ulama salihin, and you can tremendous, if you just put them into practice, imagine the tremendous benefit that we'll get. So, in Allah al-Afoon Ghafoor, Allah is asking us here now, isharatan, alluding to the fact that if you forgive, and if you pardon, you'll actually benefit tremendously. That is, that assistance is for sure. That aid will come to you for sure if you're oppressed. Nabi said in hadith, Be wary of the dua of the oppressed one. Because there is no barrier in hijab between them and Allah. The oppressed person, even if he is a disbeliever, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may very well accept that dua of a disbeliever against a believer in this world. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not like oppression. So that is why we have to ensure that we, we, we never ever ever become an oppressor in a relationship. If we end up becoming oppressed, it's sad, but it's okay. It's not nowhere near as becoming an oppressor in a relationship. So we should ask Allah to save us from ever becoming oppressed. But make double dua that He saves us from becoming an oppressor. Because the oppression will lead you to great forgiveness from Allah and great rewards. And the oppressing oppression will lead a person 
to oppression will become a means of many layers of darkness on the day of judgment so Allah is saying the aid will come to an oppressed one for sure even as mentioned in hadith that Allah says when an oppressed person says Ya Allah I need your help Allah says I'm definitely gonna help you even if it means it will be a little while because Allah loves to hear the crying and the dua of a person if Allah were to immediately give us what we are asking for our dua you and I know would stop our crying, staying awake at night, restlessly from one side to the other, praying salah after salah, coming early to the masjid, leaving after everyone leaves, will stop when our needs get fulfilled. So Allah loves to hear the anim. Allah loves to hear the begging and the wailing and the crying of a human being. That's tadarra, that humility Allah wants to hear. And so through these type of trials that you and I face, we are, we are blessed to be able to and be encouraged to come to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's why sometimes, as they say, Allah ke yaan deir hai, andher nahi hai. Sometimes there's a delay in Allah's assistance, but there's never andher. Andher means darkness. There's no such thing as darkness, you're not going to get anything. There is always light at the end of the tunnel. The tunnel may be long, but there's definitely light at the end of the tunnel. You'll have to walk till the end. It'll be there. You cannot, you cannot have this doubt. Never have this doubt what if there is no light at the end of this tunnel? When our relationship with Allah Azza wa Jal, my beloved brothers and sisters and dear listeners, there is absolutely no scope for helplessness. There's no scope for hopelessness rather. There's no scope for that. We, we live and thrive on hope. That's what we need. So Allah Azza wa Jal says, for it is the invincible Allah who makes the night penetrate into the daylight and who makes the daylight penetrate into the night. And because Allah alone is all hearing and all seeing. You're going to say, what is the connection? The previous ayah, speaking about avenging yourself. And if you, if you go beyond that, then Allah will, uh, uh, will assist the, uh, the one who was initially oppressed. So the answer the ulama explain is, just like the night might be so dark and so long, but sooner or later, the daybreak will come. Alaysa subhu bi qareeb. That's why it says, Mata nasrullah. When is the help of Allah coming? In another place, Allah says, Alaysa subhu bi qareeb. Isn't the morning close by? Yes, it is. It's just a matter of another 45 minutes, another hour, and the daybreak will happen. So, no matter how long the night is, and no, longer, no, no matter how stormy a night it may be, daybreak will come, and, you're, and, and you'll be a beautiful, nice sunrise. So similarly, no matter how long and prolonged your problems in this life are, but definitely be aware and be hopeful that the daybreak and the break of your problems is around the corner. So this is why Allah says that. That if Allah is capable of bringing daylight to an extremely dark night and to 60-50% of the world, and rather, 100% of the world all the time. Night is always somewhere, night is becoming day. Always somewhere, night is becoming day. Always somewhere, night is becoming day. Always somewhere, the sun is rising. Well then, if Allah is capable of doing that, definitely He can bring an end to your suffering. And another explanation is, how Allah Azza wa Jal, no matter how much you're suffering at the hands of kufr, and the people of batil and falsehood, remember, Allah Azza wa Jal, 
Just like He brought day to night, Allah will bring the nur of Islam to those places that are suffering from kufr. To those hearts that are suffering from kufr. It just takes time. And when the right time happens, when, whenever the will of Allah comes, iman will be lit up into that heart that is suffering from kufr. This ayah is speaking about the qudra of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, besides the metaphorical explanations of it and the, the tashbih we have here, the similarity between this and iman and kufr, or our problems ending, let's just take it from its face value. That there is ayat of Allah, the uh, verses of Allah that we recite in the Quran. Right? Al-Maqru. And there's ayatullah al-Mandur. There are verses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which we see. This is the verse of Allah which we see. The changing of the day and the night and the night into the day is actually the qudra of Allah. Again, this past trip in England, we were praying fajr. There were masjids that, you know, we had fajr salah at what time? 1.30 a.m. jamaat. 1.30 a.m. jamaat. And it was amazing to see, you know, how many sometimes in masjids we'd have 150, 200 people for salat al-fajr. You know, uh, it's not Ramadan, remember. It's not Ramadan. It's just a dhul hijjah. Just normal days of, you know, uh, of, the, of the summer. Some masjids at 1.30, other masjids had at like 4.15 a.m. And the Isha Salah at uh, like 10.45. Fajr at 1.15 or 1.30. So I, one of the things, so naturally people like me or anyone else who's not used to that, or even others, say, brother man, this night's so short and you can't do anything and fulan, fulan, all this stuff, you know, when are you going to sleep, etc. All the people who, people, many people actually, they, stay, they would stay awake, pray Fajr and then go to sleep and wake up at 8. You know, so it was nice. But um, in Asr, Asr Jamaat, Dhuhr 1.30, Asr Jamaat in many masjids were 8 o'clock. Right? 8 p.m. Asr, uh, Maghrib at like 9.15, Isha at about 10.30, Fajr at 1.30. Right? So from 8.30, 8 p.m. till 1.30 a.m., you've got four salahs. And you just got Dhuhr during the day. So some people, they, you know, they would be saying that, okay, this is, this, this is so weird. This is so early. Isn't that what people would say? This is too late. This is too this. So Hazrat Mawlana Chuksi Saab, you know, in one of his bayans, that's what he said. He said, but listen, don't comment on the hours and the nights and the days here. He said, because this side, who's doing this? This is Allah. It's not man-made. We sat there and we decided to turn on, turn on the, you know, the sun at this time and turn it off at this time. This is Allah who is doing it. So when we sit there and we make comments, like this night is too short, and the day is too long, and this and that, he says, you are complaining against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He says, this is the qudra of Allah, that's what you see. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing that there are certain places where the night is so long, and certain places where the night is so short, and the day is so long, and the day is so short. So these are all mavahir and, and manifestations of Allah's qudra. That's what this ayah is talking about. So, in, in reality, all around us, we are seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's qudra in action, but unfortunately, we just don't get it. We just don't get it. We're so impressed by various types of materialistic things, which in reality, all are, none, no such thing as man-made. Every single thing is Allah-made. Because Allah is the one that gave the human the intelligence to be able to do that. But we have to reflect on that. And if we want to really increase our relationship with Allah and our trust in with Allah, this is what we have to do. Every single day, whatever we are using, start thinking about how Allah brought that to your table. Whether it's a phone, whether it's a car, 
anything and everything. Start thinking how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala subjugated millions of things for you to be sitting in their car. How many materials are in that one car? How many thousands of people, literally thousands of people from that leather, from that one headlight, from that one carpet, from that one wire, how many thousands of people across probably six continents have in various factories and various plants have individually worked together to bring and use Allah has, Allah has given them the brains to be able to work on that and to make it all murakkab in one, one spot in one car and you're, you and I are driving that. It takes, it takes this mental exercise for us to become grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It says, when Allah sami'am basir, what sami'a about what? Allah is listening to your dua. Allah is listening to your pain. Allah is listening to your cries. Basirun, Allah is well aware of your situation, watching what type of difficulty you are going through. That aid again will come to you for sure. Why? Because Allah is Allah, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Huwal Haq, most surely the eternal truth. And that which they call upon apart from Him, it itself is utterly false. And for it is indeed Allah alone who is most surely the ever exalted and all great. Notice in these verses, the next few verses and the previous ones, we'll see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, very unique, nowhere else in the Quran, we see 16 names of Allah are mentioned back to back. Allah is the best of those who provide. Next, in Allah, Allah we just did that. Sami'un Basir. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all hearing, all seeing. Next, Allah is all exalted, all great. Allah is all subtle, all aware. Allah is self-sufficient, all praised. Alright. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is absolutely Okay, this part, this ayah is not, this is not translated here. In Allah bin Rahim, indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is most loving and most merciful. So, 16 names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala back to back in these verses of the Quran. And they're not uh, just haphazard. When you look at it, every single name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is strongly connected with that ayah. Why Allah chose that ayah, why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose that name to be present over there. And Allah al-Haq, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala most surely is the eternal truth. This is that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speech is the truth, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and every speech besides his is possibly true. And if it goes against what he said, it's definitely false. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sharia is true. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's system of running the affairs of this world is, is, is haq. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's deen that is revealed is the haq. And when you have the truth, then the truth cannot be in multiple, in multiple places. That is why nur in the Quran is always used in the singular form. And falsehood or dhulm or dhulma, uh, darkness is used in a plural form. Because there is really only one way of truth. There is really only one way to find the only nur that exists out there. And every other way, Do not try to go follow any of those paths, subul, plural form. Anything besides Sirat al-Mustaqim is going to take you to hellfire. Anything besides Nurullah, the nur of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to take you towards hellfire. 
Allah is the caretaker, the lover. Allah is the one who looks after the believers. He takes them out of layers of various different types of darknesses and brings them to the one nur of Islam. This is what, this is what we are firmly believing. That everything besides Islam and this way of life, whoever chooses a path besides Islam, will never be accepted. My beloved friends, I read something very interesting today. Allama Sha'rawi says that when you talk about uh, instincts, you know, in the earlier first ayah, I was speaking about instincts. He mentions, we talk about, um, you know, animalistic instincts. That's what we usually use. But Ajib, his, his, his take on it was very powerful. He says, why are you making zulm on an animal? It's very powerful. He says, find me an animal. Find me an animal in the, out there in the jungle that does what a human being does. It's true. What type of filth the human being is currently involved in? Without getting into unnecessary details, you all know every single day what you read in the news, what you are aware of. No animal does this. No animal, period. This type of fulfillment of lustful desires which has no end to it. This whole massive industry out there that is promoting fush and lewdness, and it's, it doesn't end. Every single day, a new page on the chapter. And a new volume is added to this list of various ways how a person can fulfill his lustful desire. Find us one animal out in the, in the, in the creation, out there, that even does a hundredth of this. When it comes to eating, when it comes to anger, Getting, showing your anger, the wrath. What type of, look at the so-called defense industry. How do you have, the humanity spending trillions of dollars in what? In the research and the development of ways to kill one another. And not kill one another just like that, but kill one another in a very painful manner. Chemical warfare and everything else. What can, what, which, which animal does this? So what a nice point that Sheikh Sha'rawi mentioned which really touched me today. He's like, why are we making zulm on the poor animals? By saying that these are animalistic instincts. Because the animals don't act like this. This is the human being that is literally when he doesn't follow the sharia, falls way, 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 way below than any, any animal in the worst jungle could possibly ever do. Things that is what you call straight out from shaitan's devil book you know book that he teaches human beings to do and we're following through with that the type of uh, lewdness that is being promoted across the board uh, you know the, the, the situation that we're faced in America in our education system again in England I'm referring to people are so worried people are so worried every day of the, the new educational system that they're rolling out from this year onwards what type of books and what type of literature and what type of subjects are being taught to junior, not junior high, but elementary school level is something that is just baffling. Right? Baffling, baffling. Not only is it lewd, but it's actually all false that just 40 years ago, everyone would sit, no one would believe that a sane human being could teach this or would even, would even hold such beliefs. But now, it's being pushed down. There was a case recently, a couple weeks ago, something that's happened over here, where um, uh, the school children or school teacher got very upset at a child who got angry, or who said, you know what, it's silly for people to be thinking, children to be identifying themselves as animals. And uh, that, that teacher got so mad and reprimanded the child 
and said, no. Um, you know, you can definitely identify as a wolf, as a cat, as a dog, as a leopard, as a lizard, as a tree, whatever you want to do. That's completely fine. And now they are, what shocked me also, subhanAllah, is where we, you know, many times we don't, we're not aware, but what type of things are happening right under our nose. This is the, to make sure I get the right organization correct, a very uh, big body of, of, uh, of medical practitioners in this country. It's called the American Medical Association, right? American Medical Association, AMA. As said, this is the recommendation that aimed at protecting individual privacy and preventing discrimination, AMA will advocate for the removal of sex as a legal designation on the public portion of the birth certificate. Under the, policy, under the policy, information on individual sex designation at birth would still be collected. However, um, it, it, this perpetrates a view that sex designation is permanent and fails to recognize the medical spectrum of gender identity. This type of categorization system also ris risks stifling an individual's self-expression and self-identification and contributes to marginalization and minoritization. AMA board chair-elect Sandra Adamson, MD. So what does that tell you? That's subhanAllah for all those who thought medicine had some grounding, some morals, what this was subjective uh, or rather objective. We see obviously where's the objectivity of this? What's going on over here? And subhanAllah, that's, if you don't have deen, nothing will save you. Science is not going to save you. Medicine is not going to save you. Nothing's going to save you. Education system can destroy you. It's deen that is, this is where this ayah comes. Be Allah wal haq. Only Allah is true. And what, only what Allah teaches you is true. And everything else is falsehood. There's no ifs and buts. There's not one foot over here, one foot over there. It doesn't work like that. You choose your sides. You choose your sides. You cannot have one foot here, one foot there. If you're going to be with Allah Azza wa Jal and His deen, then go in fully. Enter into Islam in totality. And if you don't, then well, then you have 10 million ways to go astray. My beloved brothers, the days ahead of us are, are very, very tough. And what, what, what our youth are faced with is, is not just promiscuity. It's not just abundance of opportunities to sin and to lo become lower... Uh, the most rather asfal safilin the worst of the worst but rather to regard all of that as natural to regard all of that as normal to regard all of that as acceptable to regard all of that as permissible this is what scares me the most is that the moral compass is completely being thrown out the door and our the children are being rewired that's what this whole education system is about rewired take out the sense of haq and batil from your mind and rewire it completely different to make you start thinking falsehood is right and right is falsehood and my beloved friends my travels in this past three weeks have uh, have really uh, uh, you know reaffirmed my fear which is whatever we're faced with over here it is already spread across the globe very across the globe people are not addressing it as maybe openly as we do in this masjid and many masajid across this country alhamdulillah and hopefully providing solutions too but when you talk about it in hushed-hush circles, people say, did you hear that person? I've heard instances where an imam's son, imam's daughter, unfortunately, uh, you know, have come out. And an imam's, another one, imam's son, uh, has, has chosen to become a, a, a disbeliever, an atheist.
And so this is, if this is happening in an imam or a scholar's son or daughter, whose house is left? These are in very strong conservative communities where people are very, very, you know, tight-knit. That's why they're not right now on Instagram and Twitter because there's a fear of, you know, what's going to happen to my family's name. Here in America, we don't have that. Everyone's on their own. They can do whatever you want, you know. But over there in certain places, people are very strongly knitted and the families are all living on the same street. You don't want to take everyone down with you. So, but it, it eventually leaks out. Not online maybe. So we're seeing this, this issue. And so we have to reaffirm this with our children, constantly talking about this. That my dear boy, my dear girl, you're going to have tons of different invitations from all over. The whole system. I mean, you know, it's, you know kids say, Baba, are you, are you serious? The whole world is crazy except for us. Yeah? You have a rule? But the, I'm sorry, this is what you have to say. The whole world is crazy, my friend. Right now we're at maybe 90%, 60%, whatever it is. A time will come, we'll just be all except for a few. This educational system, this type of dis crazy discussions that I'm talking about right now, what I alluded to. Who would ever imagine the medical association? Doctors are going to be saying this. And banning in certain parts of, the, of North America where it's already banned by law that they will not be assigned a gender at birth. Not be assigned a sex. We, complete, we let the child... So if you're going to give that type of freedom, this is game over. Right? Like literally, where do we stop? It's over. A person can say, I'm, I, I am shaitan or I am fulan. I, this is the, the acting game never stops. Acting game never stops. If you're allowing people for self-expression, he's going to say, I'm, I'm shaitan. Yeah, that's it. And so you're hearing how anyone who is... Uh, parents are, are reaching out. I mean, these, these are things that are coming to us. What should we do? My son has, has, um, has said, uh, uh, recently I dealt with this case too. Uh, daughter or son? Yeah, son said, came back and says, Baba, a seven-year-old. Seven-year-old! Because that's what they're teaching him. Like, you know what? I don't think I'm a guy, a boy anymore. I think I'm a, I'm a, I'm a girl. And she says, like, um, so that when the mom and dad heard this, like, seven-year-old, they're like, okay, if we say no, this is unacceptable. They were scared for their, for their child's safety and for their own safety. It said, if this child will go back to school and say, you know what, you, in school you taught us we could do whatever we want. But guess what, my mom and dad said, no. Well, there's a chance, a very strong chance of losing your child. That they'll just come pick them up, child services, and say, khalas, you don't have the right to raise your child anymore. Because you're not allowing him to express his identity. This time, is not, I'm not warning you of what's going to happen. This has arrived already in certain parts of North America and certain parts of Europe. So now imagine the child is calling the Mufti Sal, like, how do I deal with this situation? The father is, the mother is. What do I do? I'm so scared because I want to explain to him, but I'm scared if he goes, spills the beans in the school, I'm going to lose my child. Allahu Akbar, that time has come. So now, if, if, this isn't wrong, we, if, you, if you feel uncomfortable telling your son and daughter that we are in haq and everyone else is in batil, who says anything else, then, then we, we have to, every day. Every single day, we have to reaffirm this. As Nabi Sallallahu This is the dua of tahajjud of Rasulullah Sallallahu Oh Allah, you are the absolute truth. Your promises are absolutely true. Meeting was absolutely true. Paradise is absolutely true. Hellfire is absolutely true. All the prophets are absolutely true. And Muhammad is absolutely true. Yes. That reaffirmation of the truth is so important every single day. 
We have to create the mentality. Parents ask, when do we discuss this? We'll discuss it before they get brainwashed. You should be the first one to be inserting what's right into their mind. Gone are the days to say, oh, he's, not, he's too young. Uh-uh. They have no shame to bring these topics up to five-year-olds and four-year-olds and three-year-olds through their various books. What can we do? It's a very uphill battle. And we ask Allah for protection. But we need to understand if we sleep and we think everything's gonna be fine as long as the grades are good, then there's no bigger fool than us. The world is sinking, my friends. The world, the Christians are sinking, the Jews are sinking, the Buddhists are sinking, the Hindus are sinking, and a big chunk of the Muslims wanna sink as well. If there's anyone who can save this planet, it's you and I. It's the Muslims who can hopefully have some sense of reason right now, some, some rationality still left. And to say, what are we doing? Why do we have some rationality left? Because we have the Qur'an. So long as we hold on to the Qur'an, we will be guided. And as, as soon as we try to start reinterpreting the Qur'an, and trying to make, Allah forbid, make it fit to the current standards, then obviously we will be the biggest losers. And how sad, we have the truth, yet we choose to lose. Every single day, we have to, summer is still around, please speak to your children, speak to your kids, have discussions about this. Alhamdulillah, I'm so thankful and grateful to Allah Azza wa Jal that when we, when we raise issues in this masjid, we provide solutions as well. Our deen intensive just ended on Friday. This morning we got a report from all our teachers and the head of the summer intensive. It was so heartwarming, so heartwarming. Alhamdulillah, so nice to hear of the reflections. We had four different classes, two on the boy's side, two on the girl's side. One ages below 18 and one 18 and above. And hundred plus students in all these four classes from across the country from Dakotas from Las Vegas from Los Angeles from New York from New Orleans Alhamdulillah from California from all over and the idea was what was mentioned about the younger kids what the Asatidah were saying that there is no taboo topic that they, ha- that they are not fully aware of and fully engaged in whether it's slavery whether it's Rasulullah's marriages whether it is jihad whether it is certain aspects of Jannah and Jahannam, whether it's who goes to go to Jannah or Jahannam, whether it's all these various different types of doubts that Islamophobes have put into the minds of the kids know it. They might not know at tahiyat they might not know Ayatul Kursi. No, really, that's what was mentioned. They don't know Ayatul Kursi, but these things they know in and out. How old are these kids? 13, 14, 12. And in the process of one month, mashallah ta'ala, to hear of how much they learned, you know, chisel out and completely remove that disgusting filth from their hearts and their minds. And then purify it with the deen and give them the true proper teachings. And build a trust in scholarship and ulama. Every single one of them was like, we never, we never knew such scholarship existed in Islam. We didn't know Islam has answers. We didn't know there's ulama that actually have studied for 12 years, 15 years, can speak our language, understand our culture, born and raised here. This is something we never even knew existed out there. And walked away. Like uh, some of them were, although they were teenagers, but the teacher said it seemed that they were heavy, heavy, heavy into absolute doubt that Allahu Alam, when would they absolutely just walk out of Islam? Because they were just, you know, just on the border of leaving Islam. Some of them. Because they were so, uh, you know, drowning in doubts due to all the stuff that they hear and read at school and the internet. My beloved brothers, I'm very happy for those hundred. But we have millions in the ummah that are untapped and are not being catered for. So we have to all, my, my appeal to all masjids, institutions, ulama, knowledgeable people out there, across the globe, 
that we must use these times in the summer to offer classes. We have many children's classes. Everyone wants to dump their little kids in the masjid babysitting. They always fine. But the real problem is for our adolescents. That age group between 14 and 18, not even 14, 18, no, even in college. Lots of fitna is happening. What's for them? Not only do masjids have to start providing that, but I want the dads and the moms who are listening to me. And I want those college students who are listening. Please, for the sake of your own faith, for the sake of your iman, don't think you're above and beyond that. Uh, neither am I, by the way. None of us are. Anyone can get attacked anytime, and it's a matter. Just like a car accident, how long does it take to happen? It takes less than a second, right? For you to be in a ditch, it takes for less than a second for an 18-wheeler to crash into you. Well, similarly, it takes less than a second for shaitan to come and put a doubt in your heart and you're gone. If we don't have the suhbah, good companionship, if we don't have dhikr of Allah in our heart, we don't have ilm, we're gone. Why, subhanAllah, become that casualty that we're seeing all around us? Every day, every day I receive, just between Maghrib and Isha, before Maghrib I receive so many sad text messages. So many sad text messages, subhanAllah, about people completely losing their deen. And their moms and dads, very sad story. I mean, I'm just saying, one of 16-year-olds, just mom reached out to me. He doesn't have a license. He's gone. Took the dad's car and he's gone off. Why? Parents said, you know, you can't have a phone. They, haven't, they said, you can't, you're too young to have a phone. He's, he's messing around. SubhanAllah. Now the mom's calling. So worried. She didn't see, they don't even know where the son has been almost over 24 hours. Took off with the car. 16-year-old. Allah Azza will bring him back. Say, Ameen. And guide them. This is one who's gotten my number. How many thousands of moms today are crying? And dads are crying. Have no idea where to turn to. And then the issue, can you give me advice? What should I do? Should I he says, I'll only come back if I give the phone. I said, the cat is out of the bag. This is not the time to discuss about the phone. You should have thought about this two, four years ago. And probably you did, but you made some, some mistake. Or maybe you didn't make mistake and Allah will, whatever it is. This is not the time right now. This is the 11th hour. You got to make sure the kid comes back home. Whatever he's asking for. We can help and treat a kid once he comes back. But if he leaves the house, and you don't know where he is, game over. So how many subhanAllah moms and dads out there who are absolutely lost? And unfortunately this kid that I'm speaking about, again, I don't know the identity. Actually, I seriously do not know the identity of who this person is who messaged me. So inshallah, none of you know it either. But the idea is, he's a hafidh al-Quran. And this is the norm. If this is happening to someone who became a hafidh al-Quran, and you know, subhanAllah, how many of those kids who never had the tawfiq to go to Sunday school, whose parents never could afford to send them to Islamic school, what's going on with them? It's a very dire situation. And we as moms and dads, even though we are a small group of people listening right now maybe, but at least if we can save our own kids and stop being apathetic, thinking that I'm a good Muslim. No, I know you're a good Muslim. Those ulama whose sons and daughters I just told you in Europe who've lost their kids, there's muftis whose children have subhanAllah become gay, lesbian, and atheist. That's what we're dealing with. This is why what we're dealing with the fitna today is something absolutely, absolutely unheard of in the past. Because before it was, if you lock the door, you put on a chain, you put the alarm system, you're good. Now you check all the boxes and you're still not safe. Because it's colorless, it's odorless, and this, this, this smoke comes in, or this gas comes in, and it puts the germs of doubt into our kids. Gender dysphoria, same gender attraction, uh, atheism. All of these things are all jarasim. These are all, subhanAllah, all various different types of infections. They're happening through invisible ways. And you cannot think that just because your son and daughter became hafidh or hafidah, went to Islamic school, that they're safe. Absolutely not. Continuously we have to be 
And if I speak about this every day, it's still not sufficient because we're seeing so many cases. Every day we have to talk about this issue. Every day we have to talk about solutions. We have our Arabic intensive starting in one week's time. Please, if you're a college student, 18 plus, come in and, and connect with the Quranic Arabic. And that, however, you're not going to become an expert in Quranic Arabic in three weeks. But that three weeks, inshallah, will be life changing because it will allow you to sit in the company of ulama. It will allow you to sit in the company of good, uh, you know, good brothers and sisters. It will allow you to give an opportunity to ask questions. And that suhba itself will, be some, will something be very powerful. Down the line, your sons and daughters, Allah forbid, if they have issues, they'll have had a good experience with some ulama in their childhood. They will be able to reach out to them for assistance. So this is the, the true battle of the truth and falsehood, my friends, is playing out not in the nearest theaters to your house, but rather in your son and daughter's bedroom. Yeah, that's what it is. The battle of falsehood and truth is taking place in everyone's house. Are we watching it? Or are we busy watching something else? How are our sons and daughters reacting? This is the time. You've got a couple, you have a month or more over the summer. Anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world, if you can travel and there's a good program, that can spiritually strengthen your son and daughter and academically prepare them for the world, please do so. If spending a few thousand dollars is the cheapest price you could pay to save your sons and daughters iman. Benefit from whatever programs we have. Anywhere else, just come and look and search. Ask mashwara, what should we do? I have this time, what can I do? But do not waste this time. This is precious time that your son and daughter is with you at home. Make sure we, want, we equip them with those tools that will assist them insha'Allah, hopefully with the will of Allah to overcome what awaits them. Allahu Akbar. Uh, we will insha'Allah start from Ayah 63 uh, next week. And we can see if we have any questions. Uh, let's see. Yeah, so here's the slide. We have about 10 minutes insha'Allah. 272. 7514 272 slido.com or you can take a picture of this you can ask your questions inshallah Two seven two seven five one four. Okay, um, some random questions. Um, are we allowed to pour water on grapes to keep the grass alive? Yes. Uh, are you allowed to sell uh, men's watches if, uh, if they have gold on them? Well, if, if, I mean, it's, it's, it's not being sold only to Muslim men. It's sold in a jewelry store, for example. Anyone can purchase it, non-Muslims as well, so that should be fine. Um, am I allowed to pray home if my wife desires that I lead her in salah? No, you should pray in the masjid. That is more rewarding, and she doesn't have to pray jama'ah. She can pray at home. If, um, if you want to bring her with, that's fine. If she feels like if I stay at home, I won't be able to, I'll miss my prayer. Then you may bring her with. But men should pray salah in the masjid. Um, and then, a Quranic Arabic class. Uh, Arabic Quran, uh, Quran it's called the Tamheed Arabic Intensive you can register for that from the website masjidds.org it's an on-site only program 
You can see it, uh, the flyers there as well. Some, can you ex discuss some important uh, lessons you encountered from your trip? Yeah, you know what? <laughs> we need many weeks for that because there's a three-week trip. But then um, people say there's no tafsir. So then, you know, inshallah, I will try. I did mention a few. Hopefully, the next many weeks, we'll continue to share from there. How to bring adult kids back to the deen if they're already married. Um, you know, bringing them to the nur, bringing them to the environment of the masjid, Figuring out a way. Everything that we do has to be done, mashallah, with hikmah. One of my teachers mentioned, uh, he said, you know, traveling with your children outside of this country, he said, is very beneficial. You need to go travel with your kids. To go to a third world country or go to where you've migrated, your parents have migrated from. Let them see simplicity. Let them see poverty. Um, let them see some mujahada and some difficulty. Uh, let them just simply get out of the comfort zone. And, but what interesting point here he told me. He said, don't ever mention that it's for their islah and for their rectification. Make it into some vacation or make it something else. But deep down, your whole purpose of that is that it's for the rectification. What an amazing point. That when we are making effort on people, see even adult married kids, whatever we do, we cannot be explicit about it that this is for you to become a better Muslim. Because people, people who are in that state don't want to be a better Muslim. So it has to be done very subtly just happened to end up coming to the masjid for Salatul Maghrib and then happened to sit for a program. Happened to uh, visit a, 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 invite someone over to the house for dinner who happens to, mashallah, be an interesting, amazing person, a representative of the deen. You know, he could be a professional, this, that, successful in their business, successful in their profession, but also is a very practicing uh, Muslim and can just share his, his or her story. So we have to figure out, we have, basically what I'm trying to say, you have to use wisdom of how to bring the brothers and sisters who are married back to the deen. My heart feels in ease. Alhamdulillah, I have, uh, I have, I have much more than the average person. I strive to get closer to deen but feel empty. Well, one way to do that is, as I mentioned, increase your remembrance of Allah. Do continuous dhikr and connect yourself with, with righteous company. When you're teaching about the, the, the kids from four-year-olds about the fitna, any book recommendation? Possibly there is. But like for example, like the nasiha, Nasiha is the uh, set of books that we use here and it's worldwide, mashallah, printed from England. It's, you can uh, purchase it from online as well. It's a curriculum that we use here in our Quran and Islamic studies class over the summer. Mashallah, we had for kids. It's going to be ending this week. For four weeks, we had that program. Five weeks. We use it in our maktab class as well. So you can get that book for basic fundamentals. But lo lots of these other things, like for example, uh, gender identity, or same gender attraction. These things in a very nice, you don't need to get complicated with it. Very simple, basic things. Go back to the original. Morality comes from Allah. Allah created you, Allah created you like this. Allah created you like this, and Allah created truth and falsehood. And there's people who are gonna be inviting towards falsehood. These are agents of shaitan. Explain the, the, the fight between haq and batil. So the kids understand ganda, you know, and acha. They understand good and bad. They understand. They need to understand that these things are from shaitan. How come my teacher said that? Well, there's loads of people who say, just like you don't eat pork because you're not uh, non-Muslim. Well, guess what? There's a lot of non-Muslims who do different things. In comes in all these issues, there, there are going to be non-Muslim views. If your teacher said she eats pork, that doesn't mean you're going to eat it, right? They know that. Kids, our little kids know that. Just like they know that, they have to be taught these other issues as well without getting into too much uh, complication. In keep it simple as much as possible. Um, what was the exposure in England and Turkey regarding exposure to LGBTQ issues? Is it prevalent there? England, yes, for sure. Um, very much. 
very much. Uh, they had a massive pride, uh, you know, uh, 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 march, etc. Sad, one person told me that uh, he said in his company, he said he's a, he's a lawyer, I think so, and he said, I was asked by my management, what effort did you make this past month to help promote Pride Month? Like, you know, like, literally we have to show our loyalty. And he's like, man, I was, I was just shocked that I'm being asked this question. I have to prove my loyalty that this, I did something. And I'm sure many of you corporate brothers who work in corporate, you, you, have, you have to face the same thing. So then eventually they said, okay, we want to set up um, uh, an opportunity for people to dress in rainbow colors and you know, celebrate one day in the office. And, uh, and uh, we're gonna organize, a, we're gonna let people know that there's a certain uh, parade going if anyone wants to participate. And he's like, he's asked me, did I do something wrong? He said, I just stepped out, I was like, okay, you know, it's up to you, you wanna do whatever you want. And I said, yeah, if they're having a beer, you know, wine, dine party and you're not part of that and the office is doing it, it's not your fault. SubhanAllah, he said, no one showed up except for one Muslim sister. Only one Muslim sister decided to dress in that manner and show up for the thing. And the whole company, Muslims and non-Muslims there, only one Muslim sister decided to show up. So, you know, that's the type of thing. In Turkey, however, it's not, it's banned. Parades are banned, definitely zero, alhamdulillah. No, exp no flags, no discussion of that stuff publicly at all. Uh, privately, whatever might be happening. MashaAllah, today we have, you know, I don't know, so, so many questions, but... Um, Let's see, if you, if you thumbs up the most important ones and they go up to the top. How can, <clears throat> how can I make a, a daughter hafil with a nominal budget? <clears throat> a person should, you know, understand that, you know, uh, 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 mashallah, becoming hafil or hafil, etc. This is a very strong personal journey. A person can, if a person does not have the ability to, uh, for example, enroll them in any school, etc., one thing I noticed in England, for example, is they have a lot of part-time classes. So it's very normal in masjids to have after-school Quran class, 4 p.m. to 7 p.m., okay? But then what's amazing is post-fajr, before they go to school. They do two hours, 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. All these kids are coming to the masjid for hifz before they go to school. So basically what I'm trying to say is, full-time hifz might be difficult, for example, for a person, then we should try to do something on a part-time basis with a teacher online or at home as much as we can. For girls, that's also a, a good way of doing that. Huh? Um, what is the importance of maintaining family ties even if someone doesn't want you to, to be around? Well, family, maintaining family ties has many different meanings. It doesn't mean you have to have them over for a barbecue every day. Maintaining family ties can simply say, say assalamu alaikum, say wa alaikum assalam. Once a month, you meet them. I mean, keep it as limited. It doesn't, it doesn't have to mean that you're always in their face. If they don't want you around, you don't have to. But as long as you uh, continuously offer the olive branch once a month, once in two months, etc. Um, lost my business and feeling spiritually dull and overall lethargic. I can't focus on my salah or anything else I'm doing. We'll turn to Allah Azza wa Jal through various athkar. One of the things you could do, لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله. 100 times and above per day. لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله. This is very effective in removing uh, depression and laziness. Also, manzil, the 30 verses from the Quran, uh, you can download online and read that. Make a habit of reading that every single day. Plus, morning and evening du'as. And if lost, losing in business, read Surah Al Waqi'ah. Um, Surah Al Waqi'ah daily. Is it permissible to not attend invitation to Nikan Valima when we know there will be haram? If there's going to be certain things that are going to be uh, un Islamic happening, then you can excuse yourself. You can, by, by all means, send a gift, share a gift. Gift card, gift, you know, etc. But you can excuse yourself from attending. You should rather excuse yourself. 
I feel like my family is taking advantage of me. I don't love my parents. What do I do? Um, you know, maybe something did happen. You, you have to sit and speak to someone about your specific situation. Reach out to a scholar or a therapist. Explain. Share your story. What happened? Many times, it's the way we understand things. It might not, maybe you weren't, maybe no one actually oppressed you or took advantage of you, especially your parents, but it may seem like that. Or maybe it did happen. But what was our discussion since the beginning? Forgiveness, right? It was about the huge rewards of it. So by us not forgiving or by keeping this grudge, what's going to happen? It's just going to make our life much more difficult. We have to understand that there's people whose parents are non-Muslims. There's people whose parents are, frankly speaking, there's serial, serial killers who have kids. There's serial rapists who have kids, right? Think about that. There's not every single parent naturally is going to be the best person. So if a person may actually have suffered, in this case, a person needs to realize that how by keeping this grudge or constantly thinking about it doesn't help me. It's actually forcing me to not move forward in life. So then we have to equip ourselves and learn how to be able to put it behind our back and move forward. And that's something we learn. But again, reaching out to someone for assistance in detail would be beneficial. And turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in dhikr. The more connection we build with Allah, the more we increase in our dua, the more beneficial it will become inshaAllah. <laughs> yeah, mashallah. Um, so, if the kids everywhere have smartphones and the ones who don't get it feel left out, would that, would that be the parent's fault if the child rebels in this case? Well, everyone around us has haram relationships. And it's just a matter of time where more than 50% of the class is going to be LGBTQ. It's already happening 50% and more in certain schools I'm aware of. It's going to happen much more public. What are you going to do? That's what I'm saying. As parents, we have to explain to our kids that we're different. And sooner, sooner, very soon, we're going to be one in a hundred. Not Muslims, just one in a hundred who follow normal, uh, normal ways of leading a life that were common a hundred years ago in this country or the world. Gonna be, we're going to be a minority. So when, when it comes to phones, cell phones, etc., we have to explain to our kids. And if they are refusing to understand, then you need to get intervention at that time. Don't fight on it. Because if you say, no, absolutely not, and you say, yes, yes, then the, the, the end result might not be so nice. So if we are in a tug of war, then let it go. Do I, I say, cave in, give him a latest phone? No. Ask, reach out for help. Say, oh, what am I supposed to do specifically with this situation? But to keep on saying that, no, I'm not going to give it, then Allah forbid, like we just heard in this case, bad things can happen, worse things. I mean, maktab teachers and Sunday school teachers, how can they equip themselves in, in dealing with these issues? Very important question. I think every single Sunday school has to ensure that all their Sunday school teachers are equipped in dealing with these modern issues. And it has to, has to, has to be part of the curriculum. We cannot keep on teaching Badr for six years in a row and making all the kids make a little you know, chart, map, done, chalo, next. This is what many times happens. That curriculum must be updated and the curriculum cannot be updated if the teachers are not equipped. I, I, I envision a, one day a system where school, Sunday schools are uh, have a grading system, like, or what do you call graded, my silver, platinum, whatever you want to say. And, and that Sunday school that's got all its teachers certified by a reputable institution that can equip them with the modern issues should have the highest grading. And that's where then people will travel an extra 30 miles, 40 miles to send their kids to that Sunday school. Because why their kids 
will be learning in, by teachers who are well equipped to handle these modern issues. So the Deen Intensive that we just finished, our one-year program, etc., our um, you know, Tafim program, weekend, weekend Tafim program will start in August. I think this is a knock, if you're a Sunday school teacher teaching on Sunday, come take the Tafim program on Saturday, right? So these are programs, alhamdulillah, that are offered. Plus we have everything that we ever do here is all recorded available online. Um, so you can benefit from, uh, from those. If you reach out specifically or you have a, a group of people who want some class, inshallah, we can definitely give some guidance on where to get that. Uh, my parents are sending my younger sibling to move out for university and live in a dorm with non-Muslims. What should I do? I mean, your parents are doing that because they just simply don't understand. If your parents are listening or any other parent like that, I request you to go. Why don't you go with, to the dorm, spend a day just watching what happens in the dorm, right? Talk to kids. Talk to the boys and girls. Hey, what's your day? What's, just watch, sit in one day. And I'm pretty sure you'll change your opinion on that. So this is something which is, uh, we'll regret afterwards. There's no reason. As long as we can, we should try our best to have our kids travel back and forth from home to the best of our ability. Uh, what, what the trade-off is absolutely not worth it. Inshallah, we'll continue next week. Bithinillahi ta'ala. Enjoy the tea after salah. Uh, meet one another in, in, in the company and benefit from one another inshallah and then next week also we'll, if you have any questions that weren't answered just ask them again next week hopefully we'll get to them again the Arabic intensive will be starting a week from today uh, so a week from yesterday rather six days left so please go visit masjidds.org and inshallah learn about that program it's the three week from eight to four um, inshallah hopefully it will be very beneficial for all the 18 plus students here inshallah subhanallah bihamdi subhanakallah bihamdik nashadu la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayka assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh